Hello and welcome to the Choose Love podcast. My name is Scarlett Lewis and I'm the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. Our mission is to offer essential life skills and tools that help us connect in healthy and meaningful ways, to manage our emotions, to grow through difficulties and challenges we face in life, to make responsible decisions and more. We're not born with these life skills, but we can learn them at any age and they provide a direct path to finding meaning and purpose in our lives and to flourishing. And we need them now more than ever. The Choose Love movement is now in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country and over 100 countries. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Stephen Rubin, co-creator of Havening Techniques with his twin brother, Dr. Ron Rudin, who is a PhD in organic chemistry and other titles, including Harvard University. Steve is a former doctor of dental surgery for over 40 years. He is a certified hypnotherapist and consultant and coach for individuals in Fortune 500 companies. He is currently a member of the International Coaching Federation. He teaches and lectures on Havening. This is how I found him and his organization. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Steve, Dr. Rudin. Please call me Steve. Okay, Steve. Welcome, Steve. Right. Thank you, uh, Scarlett. It's a pleasure being here. Uh, I'm so grateful for you and and Havening, the the trauma technique that you've brought to the world. And from the very beginning, following my personal tragedy of losing my six-year-old son, Jesse, at Sandy Hook Elementary School, I have been searching not only for myself and the trauma that I experienced, but also for for others, for children and individuals, and especially now the increased trauma that we have, uh, different trauma techniques that are effective. Um, I'm open to everything and I've tried just about everything out there. That was one of the advantages of being part of such a public tragedy. Uh, Lots of people came to Sandy Hook and offered their, um, their techniques for free. And so I was open to everything and tried everything and I landed on a few. Um, but just recently I came upon Havening and was absolutely blown away <laughs> by its, the power of it, uh, the, the research behind it. And, and, and most of all the simplicity. So, um, I just, uh, I want to talk about that today and and what led you to create this um, and a little bit of background behind it and uh, just kind of introduce it to our followers. Uh, Thank you, uh, Scarlett. I'll I'll go, I'll start by just talking about how all this came about. Great. Um, uh, I've been blessed with uh, an identical twin brother. And for those of you who are twins, Um, It's quite the unique experience. There is definitely something to the fact that we're attached throughout life. And we've done projects together, my brother and I, over the years um, in nutrition and in other areas. And uh, one day he called me up and said, have you ever heard of tapping uh, done by Roger Callahan? I said, no, I'm not familiar with it. He said, well, You know, interestingly enough, I applied the technology to one of my docs in my office, and she was able to rid herself of a lifelong cat phobia. And I said, really, Ron, that's interesting. And he said, yes. And all 
I did was I tapped on certain parts of the doctor's face, arms, hands, and the phobia disappeared. I wonder what the underlying mechanism of how this works. So we embarked upon a journey to see what we could learn about how this works. And we went to the literature. There was nothing there. This was something that we saw as a clinical experience, a clinical outcome, but there was no underlying biological explanation for it. And thus began our 20 year quest of understanding how this works. Okay, so this was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, this happened 20 years ago. And over those 20 years, after reading thousands and thousands of peer reviewed papers, we were able to distill out what it was that was actually happening biologically. So we've come up with some different ways of looking at it. So for example, well, I'll just say, can I just say for tapping for people who are listening and don't know what tapping is also called emotional freedom technique. We have this uh, in our program. And actually uh, it was one of my chosen therapies after the tragedy. And I, I do tapping. I, I love it and it works. And, and I describe it as a combination of uh, modern psychology and ancient acupressure. And you tap on certain points on your body that relate to the amygdala and you kind of rewrite the wiring, the, the traumatized wiring in that. And it provides really relief after a few rounds of this. And, uh, and it really worked for me even after the loss of my son in such a traumatic way. So I just kind of wanted to explain what it was. Okay. I, I agree. I, I'm glad you did that, Scarlett, because all science builds upon the experiences of people that preceded us. So we stand on those people's shoulders. And just like we stand on the shoulders of Francine Shapiro, who evolved uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing in the early 80s, which is another what we would call psychosensory technique. EMDR, otherwise known as EMDR. Otherwise known as EMDR. And the, the construct of these ideas is using um, our internal sensory perception to make change. So we have things such as aromatherapy, uh, music therapy, uh, light therapy, and all of, <laughs> all, of the, all of these senses that we have developed in our uh, evolution are valuable to help us regulate our systems. The one that we have found the most powerful and has linked us to where we are today is the sense of touch. And that, in fact, it was a very ancient modality used by the shamans and and the ancient healers of past. They didn't have the the ability to have medicines or drugs or surgical procedures. So they had to rely on what they had available, which was ritual and they had touch. And they may have used some other issues such as fragrances and things like that, which may have induced a a particular state which may create change. But what Havening has done is we've taken this ancient art and added current thinking neuroscience to it. 
So now we understand the biologic mechanisms of how touch works, not only to remove unwanted pests. And I really have to say at this moment, we're moving away from the idea of trauma. I love that. I, I, I love when you say that. Can you explain that? Well, trauma comes from the Greek word meaning wound. And in fact, when we look at the 1950s psychotherapeutic community, when they would look at this, they would see that people felt injured from these events, these traumatic events. But in fact, what was happening now, we understand that the body was doing its job in protecting itself from the experience that they just had and making sure that it never happens again. So we look at it not as a trauma, which is a wound, but as an appropriate response of the body to the experience. So we now call them event-specific biologic markers. And what havening is capable of doing by understanding the application of the psychosensory aspect of touch, we are able to remove those past event-specific biologic markers, change the lens of perception, because those markers allow us to perceive the world that we live in, our ongoing experience, and help keep us safe. But many times, these biologic markers no longer serve any purpose. They are some ancient past experience that we have that we brought forward that we see the world in, but it's no longer helping us. It's no longer relevant or valuable, but we still carry these things because uh, event-specific biological marker has no down-regulatory mechanism. And that is why for decades, people thought that trauma was immutable. Now we know the brain is plastic. It can change. And not only do we know that the brain can change and is plastic, we can build resilience in our mind just by going through simple steps and allowing our body always to return to our balance. So I'll just give, if it would be all right, just to give a quick definition of resilience, because I know it's it's a it's a not a well defined term, but in the havening world we define it in a specific way. Resilience, as we see it, is the ability to return to homeostasis, to balance. If we have a stressor and we have stressors all day long, our body responds to that stressor and then returns back to balance again, our biobalance. But what happens if we have an event marker there and that event marker is continually stimulating our body and it is unable to return to biobalance? That creates a stressor. And that stressor creates additional demands both on our physical and emotional well-being. And over time, these demands create dysfunction. And we see a wide variety of dysfunctional outcomes. We see, for example, panic disorders. We see chronic pain. We see depression. We see 
anxiety. We see all of these things that the mind is bringing forward to ensure that we are safe. So when we look at these issues, we look at them as, as pathologies, but in fact, it's the mind's re and body's response to helping us keep us safe, but they're no longer useful. In fact, they're, they, they're unwanted. So the but, mind's uh, really actually reacting appropriately, but they're not necessary in our current environment. Correct. Contextually, they're in the wrong place. So I'm thinking about like today, and there's so much talk about trauma. Uh, it's in every headline, especially as it relates to our children. And then we're also seeing the manifestations of trauma in increased suicides, increased, and they're called diseases of despair, uh, substance abuse, violence. And I love that, you know, we're thinking of trauma as an injury when if we could shift the focus of our lens to seeing it as an experience that is that that is a protection response that's an appropriate response to what we've been through this global pandemic um, it might help us move through it a little easier with less fear because when I, you know there's so much fear around this uh, and I think that that gets in the way of healing. Fear is the most primal emotion that we have. It trumps everything. And our, our fear is mitigated and, and controlled and evolved through our limbic system, which is the, uh, an earlier brain system. And the central player in this is the amygdala. And what we're able to do in Havening, which is astonishing, is we are able to actually go in and remove the specific neuron that is related to the specific event in which we are choosing to change. And we can go in there and change that neuron so it is no longer stimulated upon the presence of cues that we see in our ongoing experience. And thus we are no longer triggered to that type of behavior. Wow. Now, how, how do you know that? <clears throat> well, we know it by fMRI studies. We know that by peer reviewed studies, we actually can see in fMRIs, the removal of these biological markers that's, a, that's available for us to see in the last 20 years. That's incredible. So can you give an example of how that would relate in today's world with what's going on now? Sure. <clears throat> if we all float back to March yeah. of last year and our systems were heightened by an invisible predator and everything around us Everything around us then became a threat. The doorknob became the threat. The person standing next to you became a threat. The supermarket became a threat. All of these things were potential places upon which this invisible predator could kill us. Mm -hmm. This created what I call a new state a neostasis, a new way of being. It took our homeostasis, it took our biobalance and significantly shifted it. 
so that all our experience was primary focused on our safety. And that became our model. And what we've seen over the last year is to some degree, we've been able to adapt. We are no longer washing necessarily, unfortunately, washing our hands or wearing masks or doing these things, but the virus is still there. So our body has adapted to that, but our body hasn't adapted to that. So we are still bathing ourselves in neurochemicals that are caused by the introduction of a stressful stimuli. And they are norepinephrine, cortisol, and, and epinephrine. And over time, these bathings that we have on a daily basis cause emotional disturbances, um, uh, cancers, coronary artery disease problems, a whole wide variety of chronic pains. All of these things are a result of our underlying biochemistry. And so what we do in Havening is we're able to understand and almost remove that threat from the individual so that it's not that they're unaware that they should do these things, but the biological response is mitigated. So we're not chronically being bathed in these neurochemicals and we return to homeostasis or biobalance. And, and here's, here's the bottom line today. I think we've all been looking to the future for some kind of save your uh, vaccine that will, that we can take and then life will go back to normal. And I think what we're not acknowledging is that this is our new normal. I mean, we, we are the, the COVID is here to stay. And so we need to self-regulate to our, and, and, and make this our new normal. And, you know, I think that havening can be very helpful in that process. Do you? Uh, absolutely. Um, but I think. Do you agree with what I just said? <laughs> I do. I do agree with what you just said. And I also think it's going to be a generational thing. I think a number of generations down the road that didn't have this experience may or may not have the same a view of the world is as we do. So we're looking at a period of time of a lot of people have been exposed to the stressor, mm -hmm. but those people five years, 10 years who have not been through this experience who were born five and 10 years down the road will not have this experience and may experience life differently. Mm -hmm. So normals are a funny thing. What, what was normal during the great depression? What was normal great during World War II? What was normal during the 60s? All of those things are contextual in our, in our own experience. Even our own normal that we had prior to COVID, that was a response of the experiences we have at that time. Mm -hmm. So all normals always change and we always evolve. So yes, if everybody could, uh, everyone could um, learn how to haven, and reduce their stressors around this, that would improve all of us and make us all healthier and uh, be able to move forward, be able to touch each other again, be able to interact in ways that are within our biology. We're a herding species. We need to be together. We need to feel affiliated to larger groups like baseball teams or religions. And these things are part and parcel of our, of our genetical uh, inheritance. I always, 
see events like this as an opportunity for growth. So we promote a growth mindset that looks at challenges and roadblocks as, uh, as, as a lesson as an opportunity to learn and grow. And so I think that if we could do that with this experience, then, and have a tool so we can make that choice in our mind, but then we need to have a tool that kind of sets us up biologically to proceed down that path and I see havening as that tool. I mean, literally, I really, I, I came upon this. I can't remember how I came upon havening. And then I always get this little, this little uh, voice in my head that says, seriously, mom, from Jesse. Like, I put that in your lap. All you had to do was open the link. Um, but I, I really, once I, I read about it and then we've spoken previously, I've also had a session with your brother in his office in New York City. And for me, this is revolutionary. I, I think if we look at the fact that for the first time, maybe, that we can own our own own self-control that we can by ourselves without expecting uh, a medication or without expecting anything else that we within ourselves have the capacity to make change and self-havening and self-havening which is a part of the havening uh, constellation of things that we do actually empowers and people can learn how to self-regulate themselves at any time they so wish and all they need are their hands and kind of we call these hands handy biotics <laughs> i love it handy biotics handy biotics that 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 are able to take our neuro garden and clean out the weeds and for help fertilize the soil and help grow new flowers and we could do this all ourselves it's right here at any time we so choose. Just like we had this morning, that little uh, exercise was able to change your state. You could change your state at any time. It's the construct of neuroplasticity that our minds are very flexible, very fluid, and are able to change. That's you know, been a great understanding in the last 20 years. This is incredible. And for those of you who have followed Choose Love, you can, you can understand why I am so excited about this, because that is the foundation of choose love, is that we can't always choose what happens to us, but we can take our personal power back through our thoughtful response. And, and that can enable us to choose love as a thoughtful response rather than anger, hatred, revenge, fear. And it's so important now when the pandemic kind of introduced this outward locus of control, this, this, this pandemic was something that we couldn't control. 
none of us. And this havening gives us the ability to bring that control back to ourselves. So our locus of control is inside of us. Then that gives us our power and control that reduces anxiety, reduces fear. Um, As you said, gives us our personal power back. And that I think that that's key to what we need now. I, I love that you don't look at trauma as an injury because you know this we're we're focusing on all the trauma in our kids now that are coming back into school after this long absence and isolation and if we could shift the focus of our lens of moving away from looking at trauma as an injury but as something that our kids and ourselves have experienced that was uh, an appropriate response and that we can move on from now with havening, changing our biological response. Exactly correct. Okay. So, so can we describe how that's done? Well, we, I, I can uh, just share with you a, a little uh, technical, technical issue. So, what we know, what we know is that when, from the work of Harper in 2012 in the Journal of Traumatology, what he did, his experiment, he took some vibrating pads and put them on his hands, and he was looking for the expression of a very slow brain wave and see how that would affect, and he was looking actually at uh, EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. But what he discovered was that when you uh, actually touch certain parts of your anatomy, they increase the delta waves in your brain. And delta waves are a funny little wave. They're the slowest wave possible. And they're generally there during the third stage of slow wave sleep when memory is consolidated and things like that. And very rarely during the awake hours, so it's a paradox. We're introducing a a brainwave during the awake hours when um, normally it's during that time. So as we would touch our hands together, as we like wash our hands, that's one of the movements, we know from Harper's work that that creates a multiple of delta wave presentation from baseline. And when we touch our shoulders and rub down to our elbows, that also increases up to 38 times the amount of baseline delta that's existing in our systems. And if we gently wash our face, that can create up to 90 times the amount of delta waves that are existing in our system. And these delta waves act as messengers to the amygdala. And the the way it works is this. If one can create an imaginational issue of something that happened in the past, what happens is that biologic marker comes to the surface of the cell and is waving its head if, if we imagine it, it is, would be like if it was real again. So if we are using our imagination to create that moment, it's as real if it's, it's happening to the brain. 
So that little biologic marker pops up and says, I'm ready to send the information on so we can start creating stress hormones, getting ready for you to be angry, fear, fight, whatever the case may be. Experience that in the moment. As your body doesn't know the difference, right? Between whether you're thinking about it as a past event or whether it's going to happen now. Correct. The brain doesn't make that distinction. So what happens is once that little biological marker rings its bell, say, I'm getting ready to hear more information, the introduction of the touch and the change agent of delta waves dissolves that biologic marker never to be reproduced by removing it from that site and therefore can no longer be stimulatory in terms of seeing those things again. I mean, that's simply stunning. Can you give me an example of that? An an example of how... Well, I mean, I guess I can give an example, (laughs) real life, um, because I've had havening. Um, And when I was in the office, we went to the firehouse, which was where all the parents were called to be reunited with their children or not, obviously. And uh, Dr. Rudin, your brother, asked me what was the worst part of that experience for me. And I said, you know, interestingly enough, it wasn't what you would expect. It was when my little brother showed up, who's, you know, now a a, a father, but he showed up from Boston. That tells you how long we were waiting, about a three and a half hour drive with his wife. And I watched my mom walk over the parking lot and tell him because we had had the news that Jesse was murdered and to watch his reaction because I was the older sister. I was always the one that was, um, you know, in control and, and, uh, and, and, you know, mothering them and modeling for them and to see his reaction, he bent over double. And um, that was the worst part of that whole experience that day for me. And, uh, and so we, we did havening on that. And, Um, We actually not only took away the trauma, you know, the actual pain from that experience, but we replaced that memory with a different memory. Uh, One of us, one of him just walking to me with open arms and just giving me a hug um, so that I didn't see his, his, um, his painful response. And And uh, I mean, you know, I'm looking at this as something that can help our, our, our students and our parents and our communities. So I, but I, I always, and I, and it helps me. I mean, I still have, you know, I still am in it. I'm still healing. I feel like healing is a lifetime thing. And uh, so using myself as a guinea pig, but I literally (laughs) through my mask, I mean, I felt it work and I literally was almost giggling, believe it or not. So inappropriate, I guess, for what we were doing, but because it worked. And that's an example. That's an example. I can, afterwards, I had to, I had to really try to remember that original memory. But now when I remember it, 
for you in this exp- in this instance, it doesn't have any emotional pull, any negative emotional pull on me. I'm telling it like I would tell you about going to the grocery store, which is amazing. Um, and I and I bet some people are thinking, well, maybe I don't want to get rid of the emotional charge. Maybe I want to feel pain because pain keeps me connected to my loved ones and keeps me connected to what happened. Um, and I don't feel that at all, but I've heard that. And and thereby there's a little bit of fear of healing. Um so how would you respond to that? We, we are comfortable in what we know. We don't always are comfortable of moving into something we don't know. We're and comfortably letting, uncomfortable. Correct. <laughs> We're comfortably uncomfortable. And this, the, the courage that is involved in this is yeah. being able to step into the new space without necessarily the construct of how that sits for you. So that's where the fear of... Um, moving into new spaces. But at the end of the day, sometimes when our, my clients uh, come to that, ba- that moment when they are going to choose either a preferred future or stay there, I offer the, the option. If you wish, mm. you may let it go. And they are able and they understand finally that their loved ones would not want them to be in pain and that does not respect their memory and that at the end of the day these people would want you to flourish because they had lived not in spite of what happened and they're able then to construct a new life and it's like you know one has to look at life this way i think imagine you have this most beautiful vase I mean, it is just drop-dead gorgeous. And it gets knocked over and shattered into thousands of pieces. What do you do? You, you treasure this vase, but you can't reconstruct it. So you make it into a mosaic. And that mosaic reflects those feelings as well that you felt about the vase, but in a different container, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do all the time. We create new mosaics for our lives. I Haven. love that. I, I love that imagery. And I've actually done that, by the way, because <laughs> I don't throw anything out. Um, but how would this look for student? Because I, I know that it's being used in classrooms around the world. Yes. And how would this look for a teacher and their students? How could a teacher introduce this to students and and use it with them? How would it empower them? I know they can also take this home. Um, What does that look like? Well, there are so many ways we can go about doing this. What we also know, which is so interesting, is that self-touch has a similar biologic response as other people touching you. So we can go in a very, very safe way into the school systems and we can have all of the students who come from a wide variety of emotional backgrounds 
and present with a wide variety of different stressors and concerns and worries as children may have and allow them all, just like we did in the beginning, to be centered, to get their bio balance in the moment and do this within the group. So the group develops a, a cohesiveness and the teacher then works with the students in that way. So there's an ability of the teacher, class, student individually, and then in the larger construct, the classroom creates a new energy that's there. And then that energy gets passed on to the assembly and that assembly gets passed on to the administrators and that administrators go to the PTA and that PTA goes to the community and that community goes to their town. So it's expansive. And that each one of those things at each moment reduces the ambient distress of each one of these moves that allow people the moment to choose their future and not be reactive. So uh, the way we can see it, we can uh, have videos set up so the teachers will then follow the video. And eventually when they'll get good enough at it, and each one of the students could send there, and we have a mantra we use, and it goes something like this. I open my heart to friendship as we're havening. I open my mind to learning. I am safe, peaceful, and calm. Mm. And every morning, as you do this, you're reducing your ambient distress. You're creating future outcomes of what you would like to do. And three minutes of this in the morning with the teachers and the students being together or separated, and maybe one time they could do it to each other or whatever the case may be. I open my mind to learning. I open my heart to friendship. I choose to be safe, peaceful, and calm. And this is such a simple introduction. And even you could use it in test taking when people get kids get anxious about testing. All they have to do is just begin gently, you know, just havening and, you know, just taking those things and it down regulates their system, which allows them to think more clearly, which takes some of these stress hormones offline. And that's some of the ways we could introduce that. So this works with our mirror neuron system? Uh, um, yes. Okay. So if I, we, in our sessions, when we work in sessions with clients, our haveners are all havening at the same time because they want to create the same energetic space that we share. Because what it really is, is in a one-on-one -on -one situation, the, the connection between the facilitator and the client creates a third space upon which they both enter into, upon which the work is done. So in a classroom, let's say you've got the teacher havening, you've got three quarters of the class havening, but you've got a quarter of the class that doesn't want to, that doesn't feel like it, that uh, doesn't believe in it, is it not having a good day and just kind of being obstinate maybe. And uh, so you've got everyone else havening, but I'm just thinking about the atmosphere that they're creating. And I'm thinking about the quarter of those kids or maybe the one or two kids that aren't doing it, their mirror neurons are actually receiving the benefit of that havening by watching, is that correct? Yes. Wow. <laughs> and, and this is, I mean, you have been researching this technique for decades. 
Yes, we know. You know, I mean, you have all of the science to back all of this up. And, uh, and this is so incredible. Uh, we, we hope to bring this all over the world. And we hope to share what we know with your organization, because that is where we need to start with the children. Absolutely. I, I, I found this and immediately I thought, this is so simple. That's what I, I love about it. I mean, it's, it's giving yourself a hug and then uh, caressing the outsides of your arms, or it is uh, touching your face. Washing your face. Washing your face. It's the same motion that you would do to wash your face or wash your hands. Yes. And that's it. And it's so powerful. Um, and, and that's why I am proud to announce that we are partnering with Havening Techniques and we are going to be putting this in everything that we do because it is so powerful. And, uh, and I think I'm so excited for the future. I am too. And we are thrilled to have you invite us into your world. We are thrilled. So this is our initial kind of groundbreaking podcast to introduce, introduce Havening to our constituents, to all of our followers, mostly parents and teachers. Um, but we're going to be doing a lot more in the near future. So everybody that's listening, stay tuned. I, I would say this. Don't be fooled by the simplicity of it all. It is really developed out of years of hardcore science and investigation that this is something that we can do at any place, at any time, anywhere, and anyone can learn it very, very easily. So it is something that when you get something that is so simple and so elegant just by that, it, it, it looks too good to be true, but we know it works. And then people can learn more. They can go to our website at uh, www.havening.org and find out uh, what, uh, how it really works and look up all the videos and there are YouTube videos and all kinds of things that are available. And the front page, even today in the pandemic, our front page, our website, are a number of people helping other people all over the world by demonstrating actually COVID-related uh, down-regulatory uh, examples and videos. So in my last eight years of experience, especially right after the tragedy, um, we had so many people coming to Sandy Hook and and really kind of offering their trauma treatment services. And so I thought that was an incredible opportunity. I did all of them. And I picked only a few of them that were really helpful to me. But I realized I learned in that experience that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are people that look at new opportunities and they say, uh, what if it doesn't work for me? What if, you know, what if all of that is true for other people, but not for me, kind of more of a fearful response. And, uh, and then there are those that, as you said in the beginning, have more of a courageous response in, well, what if it does? <laughs> 
What if it does work for you? What are what are what are the potential outcomes? It's incredible. And I want to put this in everything that we do because of the outcomes that I've experienced. Um, they've been it, it works and it doesn't take long and it's so simple and there's not a lot that you have to remember. You don't necessarily have to understand all of the research behind it. You just need to do it and to have, you know, I mean, you even have worked with people that have been very cynical and have not believed that it was going to work and it worked for them. Correct. It, it does not require a belief system. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, so it's I, science. as Dr. Fauci would say, it's science. Yeah, it's science. Right. Exactly. Well, this has been incredible, um, just absolutely incredible. And uh, we are in a new world. This is a brand new world. Our, in fact, we created programming that's called the Brave New World because that's what I was calling it. And in this brave new world, we need to have new techniques and we need to look at things that are happening in a different way, a way that serves us, a way that is uh, that, that lays the path towards healing and growth. And, uh, and we can do this. I mean, ironically, I was hearing from educators even before COVID that they were uh, somewhat afraid of touch. They were afraid that, you know, that how, what was appropriate touch and things like this. And now we're in this environment where we have, you know, six feet of dis of mandatory distance. We've been sending this message out of socially distancing. And, and uh, ironically, that is an oxymoron to what we actually need as human beings. In fact, there was a middle school student in, in Utah, I just can't get this out of my mind, that wrote a paper about what he believed were going to be the damaging effects of the term social distancing for his generation going forward. So uh, so in this time of, you know, we, we like to say, physically distanced and socially connected. But in this time where we are fearful of touch, this is such a beautiful thing. Havening is such a beautiful thing to introduce and, and find healing uh, from anything, anything, anxiety, um, panic disorder. Um, um, what, what else, what else does, does Havening cover? Well, it, it, I would say that it probably can cover 90% of the things that people present in internal medicine offices. <laughs> okay. So almost everything. Almost everything. And the, the data is clear about, about how stress impacts our biological systems. And this has been known for, uh, for ancients knew this. And now we have a, a very simple tool to, to modulate our, our biobalance and, and reduce that stre those stressors. And um, we're just happy to uh, join you in your, in your company and, and bring this to the uh, children all over the world. It'll yeah. be a blessing. This is amazing. Um, and it's definitely choosing love and uh, promoting healthy minds and healthy bodies 
And we are so appreciative of this tremendous gift that you've given us and we can, and, and something that we can do ourselves, which is so amazing in the comfort of our own homes and classrooms. So thank you so much for this. Everyone that's listening, stay tuned for more about Havening. I can't wait. This is so exciting. Thank you so much for joining us, Steve, and for giving us this tremendous gift of Havening. And, uh, and I look forward to a fruitful partnership and for transforming and even saving lives in classrooms across the United States and all over the world. My pleasure, Scarlett. Thank you. Thank you. It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you let it in. Let the healing begin. Thanks for listening to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. You could be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org.